Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 132 of Search News You Can Use, which corresponds to the episode you can read online in our newsletter at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. I'm recording this on Wednesday, May 13th, which is a week after uh, we had a core update announced. And so I know that most of you who are listening to this podcast probably want to hear the latest on what we know about this update. Um, I'll tell you it's a big one. It's maybe on the scale of what we saw with Medic in August of 2018. It's affected a lot of sites, and I think it reflects some very significant changes in Google's abilities to detect quality. So I'm going to give you my early thoughts on what is uh, happening with this update. We have much more than what I'm going to talk about here in our newsletter. And later on this week, most likely, We'll have a full article out with everything that we think is happening with this update because uh, it's it's a it's a big one and kind of an exciting update because I feel like Google has made really good steps towards uh, surfacing high quality content. Now I know those of you who were negatively affected by this update may have issue with some of the things I was gonna I'm gonna say on this um, and know that it's early. We don't know. I mean, we've really only had a week to analyze this. Um, So we had a really interesting meeting uh, with our team. And it's so odd still for us to be doing meetings remotely. Normally, what happens when we have a big update is we convene all of the auditors at MHC together. And uh, we just start dumping ideas out. And we say, well, look, this client had this happen to them. And somebody will say, well, this client had this. And these pages are seeing improvements. And we can tie together uh, some of the commonalities. And we can still do that over a video call, but it seems a little bit more challenging. Um, And the other thing is that uh, dealing with site traffic changes in the midst of what's happening with coronavirus and the economy and social distancing and business not acting as normal uh, has really made uh, analyzing updates a a bit challenging. Still, uh, we can see that there's a lot going on with this update. We're going to talk about a lot more in this episode as well. Uh, We've got several tips from the SEO community that I think were really good. And I'm also going to talk about my thoughts on, uh, well, not really my thoughts, but most likely what happened with LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, you may have heard, was completely removed from Google's index. And then in the space of like a day, all of a sudden, all 200 million pages were back in the index. And so we'll talk about uh, what potentially happened there and how you can avoid a similar thing happening to your website, because it sounds like it was a fairly easy mistake that was made. So let's get on to talk about this May core update. We know that the update was announced by Google that it was going to be released on May 4th. And while we do have a few clients that saw changes on May 4th, most of the sites that were affected saw changes starting on May 5th. Now, Danny Sullivan has told us, uh, he's mentioned in a couple of tweets that as usual, a core update from Google can take a couple of weeks to fully roll out. Um, And so we do see some sites still that are uh, they they were trending up starting May 5th and are continuing to trend up uh, and it's kind of exciting to see that uh, traffic is continuing to go up uh, it wouldn't surprise me though if Google you know starts to tweak some things and maybe some of those gains that we uh, received are clawed back I clawed back is probably the wrong word but uh, that um, you know as Google tweaks things maybe some content won't be rewarded as highly as it was before um, and as uh, people get used to these new search results that are 
are showing vastly different types of uh, content, um, there's obviously going to be some adjustment. So if you were seeing drops with this update, though, I mean, the same can happen. Uh, although most of the sites that we've reviewed that saw declines are still seeing declines. I don't think I've seen anybody that saw declines and now is starting to come back up again. Um, so, uh, you know, what types of sites were affected? I, this was really interesting. I often will tweet, uh, you know, hey, here's this update and it's mostly affected medical sites or legal sites or, you know, we have a lot of e-commerce sites that were affected. And I had a couple of people reply to these tweets this week saying, why are you doing that? Why do you look at what categories were affected? And it really made me think. So part of the reason why I do that is because people ask me. I mean, if you run, say, a medical site, and you know that MHC has done a lot of work with medical sites, and so you keep an eye on the types of tips that we give out for like, oh, we help this medical site improve in terms of scientific consensus or something like that. Um, you know, you can grab some tips from that, and, and uh, there are things you can use for your medical site that you run. Um, but it made me think, though, as well, that when Google makes a change, so let's talk about the medic update, uh, August of 2018. When that update happened, it strongly affected medical sites. However, it's not like Google put out an update and they had a little line in the algorithm that said, you know, we're only going to apply these changes to sites that talk on medical topics. The changes that Google put into the algorithm affected all sites on the Internet. Uh, I think there are times where Google maybe takes steps to just work on one particular niche. An example would be many years ago where we first had the payday loans update. Uh, and it wasn't just for payday loan sites, but it was for super spammy verticals, verticals like payday loans, casinos, uh, pharma uh, posts, things like that. Um, and so any site, uh, any type of site that usually was uh, involved in link building at massive scale because of how incredibly competitive the SERPs were, uh, those were affected by the payday loans update, which maybe, you know, your average blog was not. But with a core update, the, the, it's core. It, it, it affects all websites. And so I still think that there is some value in determining what types of sites were affected. And very certainly, like many medical sites were affected with this May update. Uh, but I, I want to caution uh, you as well as me, you know, not to get pigeonholed into uh, just looking at what can we do to help just medical sites? What can we do to help legal sites? And so one of the things we're always refining our process when it comes to uh, trying to determine what it is that changed with each update. And one of the things that we're doing now is paying particular attention to which pages saw drastic improvement um, as opposed to which verticals or which entire websites. And so we've been looking at, uh, you know, we've got a list of winners and losers that we have internally. We also look at the lists that, uh, you know, Systrix have provided and Lily Ray's got a good article we talked about in newsletter too that uh, just mentions the winners and losers. Um, what we really wanted to do though is instead of focusing on the entire website, let's look at which pages saw drastic improvements or drastic hits um, that 
that we couldn't explain due to seasonality or due to world events. So, for example, if we had a site that was seeing massive improvements on uh, in their website, uh, but it looked like most of those improvements came from a post they recently wrote about coronavirus, we probably wouldn't use that post in our assessment. What we're looking for are articles that um, went from ranking not on the first page to now ranking in the top five or vice versa an article that was ranking really well for many keywords in the top five that now has dropped off of the first page uh, it's interesting because danny sullivan made a tweet uh, just this week that sort of hinted that uh, if you're still able to hit the first page for search queries you know I, I think he's excluding like your own brand queries but for general search queries that you probably don't have horrendous uh, quality issues uh, that wasn't exactly what he said i'm sort of reading through the lines there but if you're um, able to hit the first page for uh, regular queries, then you probably don't have a horrible website. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, Google may just choose to prefer uh, somebody with more authority or something else. But um, so I think that's what Danny's talking about when he says that, you know, sometimes when a website was hit, it's not necessarily that you're doing something wrong, but that Google got better at uh, recognizing how relevant you were to the person who was doing the search. So um, how much I'm not sure how much I want to talk about in podcast here. I know most of you are really interested, but just know that a lot of what we're saying here is theory. Uh, it's only been a week, and even though we've put many, many hours into assessing things, uh, we still got a lot more research to do. So I, I will say uh, that every one of you should reread Google's blog post on core updates. Again, we focused so much on the fact that Google linked out to people like our website uh, who wrote on EAT. There's much more in this blog post and they have all these bullet points saying, uh, you know, here are some things you should consider if you were negatively affected by a core update. One of, uh, several, several of these bullet points uh, talk about expertise. Now we know that EAT is expertise, authoritativeness, trustworthiness. Um, I think that the vast majority of the updates that we've seen over the last couple of years had a very strong emphasis on Google trying to understand trustworthiness. And this update certainly, you know, reassessed trustworthiness for some websites. We saw our um, websites that had health content on like, here's a natural cure for how you can use, uh, I don't know, coconut oil to cure baldness or something. You know, those posts were starting to rank. And then with this update, they, they declined. Um, so we certainly do see trust being assessed. I think with every update, Google, uh, you know, takes their current understanding of what they can measure in terms of trust and, uh, and, and applies that to every website across the web. Um, authoritativeness is something that we know is highly, highly tied with um, links. And so uh, a site like, say, the Wall Street Journal that gets naturally linked to from, you know, for almost everything they publish, people are linking to it, then uh, maybe everything they publish is a bit of an over-exaggeration, but I think you know what I'm saying. Um, these, you know, authority, Google's document on how they fight disinformation tells us that authority is very strongly connected to page rank. Um, but what about expertise? 
I do believe that in February of 2017, is there was an update that was not a core update. It wasn't announced. It possibly was a Panda update, uh, but it was very, very significant. And at that time, that's when we first started seeing that, oh, sites that you know had authors that were lacking expertise tended to not do as well in Google search. But since then, I don't really feel like we've had an update that uh, you know put a strong emphasis on expertise. I think that this update has. Now, uh, you might say, well, you know, my uh, article was written by a doctor and this doctor has expertise and they've, uh, you know, they've written this article, they've fact checked it, and yet it saw declines. Um, how, do, how do I describe this? What we see happening here is that Google possibly is rewarding real life expertise, um, actual legitimate like, hey, I am a doctor and I've seen these cases and uh, here's my expertise in this. For example, we have one client who is a doctor uh, who is a surgeon. And um, in his particular area of surgery, uh, there's tons of competition. It's, it's a very, very competitive area. And most of his posts will be outranked by massive authorities like the Mayo Clinic or Harvard or, or something like that. Um, and he's seeing a lot of his posts that are not necessarily really long posts are starting to rank extremely well and to compete against massive authority sites. And when we look at these posts, what we're seeing is that... Uh, He's talking about, look, when you've had this surgery, here are some of the things you need to know when you get home. And it's not the just general standard list that you would read from the Mayo Clinic. No, nothing against the Mayo Clinic. They've got excellent information. Um, but I think we've all found that when I'm, I'm trying to search for, you know, some medical issue that, uh, you know, I want to I want to find information on. And I see that, like, everybody's got the same common list of symptoms and, you know, they've all taken them from the same sources. This is really a problem when you talk about drugs, uh, prescription drugs that, you know, everybody's listed. Here's the side effects. Here's, uh, you know, the dosage. And it's the same information you can just get everywhere. Well, this surgeon, his posts that were ranking well were saying, look, after you've had this surgery, a lot of my patients find that they don't know what position to sleep in afterwards. And here's what we found. Now, can you see how valuable that type of expertise would be? And that's something where if I was trying to do research on this uh, type of surgery and I was trying to write an article as an SEO, I can pull facts from all over the place that make a really good article. But what makes the article really, really good is if I actually had personal experience. Um, and we're seeing this as well, not just in medical sites. There, We have some affiliate uh, clients that are seeing improvements. And what we noticed across many of their posts that we're seeing massive uh, spikes in traffic uh, are that they actually legitimately used the products that they reviewed. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about um, seeing drops in affiliate sites. This is one of the things we're going to investigate more over the next week. Uh, I My current theory is that many of the affiliate sites that saw drops are just spread too thin. Um, you can't be an expert on everything. And uh, if you're doing a, an affiliate site that's essentially just rewriting the reviews that are found on Amazon or uh, 
uh, on other websites, um, and you're not really adding significant value. Maybe the words are different. Maybe a search engine from a few years ago would go, oh, this is different content than what we could find on Amazon or whatnot. Uh, but Google now is better at determining that, um, you know, a reader could just go to Amazon and read those reviews, and there's really nothing extra that they would find valuable on your website. So if you're seeing drops, one of the things that I would advise is that you look at your pages that saw drops from, you know, you used to rank really well, and now you're not even ranking on page one, or maybe you're at the bottom of page one, um, and look at what type of content Google is ranking above you. And often when you do this, you'll look at it and go, but wait, they didn't use scientific references, or they didn't have this, they didn't have that, that, you know, maybe I have said is a sign of quality. I don't believe Google has a checklist that says, ah, you didn't use a reference, and so that's negative one point. Um, I believe that what they're trying to do when they're surfacing content is to say, look, overall, do we trust this content? Does it come from an authoritative source? Uh, is this content that appears to be written by somebody who has expertise in this area? Um, if it's an area where it seems like expertise is, is something that would be valuable. So um, that's a lot of what we've been investigating. We do notice as well that many of the sites that saw declines with this update are sites that we had identified as having unnatural links. Uh, and a lot of these links, this is very similar to the November 8th update that was not a core update. It was just one that was well felt by the SEO community uh, and not discussed in, in much detail. And in that update, we saw that many sites that saw declines had been building links in ways that probably a lot of us would call gray hat, um, not overtly black hat links, but links from just overdoing guest posting or like, hey, let me provide you with this content so you can have content for your website. And by the way, I'll just throw a couple of links in there. Uh, that type of post used to work really, really well in the past to help improve rankings. And uh, when you think about it, those aren't really legitimate votes for, wow, your content is amazing. They're self-made links. Uh, and now we see the same thing happening with this May update. And when the November 8th update first happened, you know, we saw such a strong tie to links that we really felt that Google was demoting websites that had been building their own links. That's still possible. And, uh, you know, I've got an article, if you search for, uh, I think it's does disavow case studies, in my name, uh, you'll see we've got many, many cases where we've disavowed, we've improved uh, the overall link quality of the website, not by building new links, but by getting rid of uh, a pattern of self-made links. And many of these sites do see improvement. Um, however, with November 8th, uh, we have had some sites that have seen improvement, but not all of them. And uh, I think the reason for this is most likely because of BERT. So it, hopefully I'm not uh, getting too complicated here, but we know that BERT is Google's uh, newest way of better understanding language. And BERT makes it easier for Google to understand what your pages are about and probably what your queries are about as well. And so they're better able to say, like in that example of the surgeon um, who has an article about how to sleep after you've had this particular type of surgery, um, um, Google is better able to understand that if somebody searched for, I can't sleep after I've had blah, blah, blah surgery, or, you know, physicians to sleep in after blah, blah, blah surgery, Google has gotten better at understanding that, oh, 
this article that was written by an actual surgeon who sees patients with this problem all the time uh, is is very, very helpful. And even though it doesn't come from a massive authoritative source, we believe that Bert is able to better understand that it's a better example for uh, for people to um, to see in their search results. So, uh, you know, if you have seen declines and you've had links that are kind of on the gray scale, maybe once considered white hat a, a year or so ago, um, you know, I would definitely look at whether you need to disavow. We have a service, if you're not sure about that, that, uh, you know, it's not a full link audit, although that's available if you want, um, where our team can just look at your links and give our opinion on whether a disavow is actually likely to help you. I think, though, in a lot of cases, um, disavowing is one step to help Google to trust your content, but it may not be enough to push it back into rankings unless you can truly provide people with uh, content that's better. And that's that's getting harder and harder. And so I think one of our focuses uh, for the next few years is going to be to continue to find ways to produce content that not only Google will reward, but that uh, actual readers will find more helpful than what's currently ranking right now. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say at this point on the May core update. Again, we'll have a full article out soon. If you're a uh, paid subscriber to newsletter, all that I just talked about plus more is available in episode number 132. Um, if you're not currently a paid subscriber and you do sign up for a newsletter, you can see this, including all of our past episodes as well. So, um, so yeah, so hopefully you find that interesting. It's, it's always tricky to talk about an update shortly after it happened because uh, new information can come out. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so like I said, we're, we'll have our article out soon. And if, uh, if we get more insight, we'll include that in the article as well. Um, moving on to other SEO news, Google announced uh, something that is called rising retail categories. It's part of the Think with Google initiative. Um, and so if you're involved in, it's mostly e-commerce, I would say, although, yeah, I guess it's worth looking at. Uh, what it tells you is in the midst of this weird time with coronavirus and pandemic stuff happening, uh, what actual trend, trends are happening in people's searches that are a little bit unusual? And some of the rising retail categories right now are golf bag accessories. I suppose that makes sense. I mean, I don't think that's directly related to coronavirus, but it's golfing weather in, you know, in, in uh, our part of the world. Uh, sprinkler accessories, swimming pools. This is interesting. Sneeze guards. OK, so that's definitely sneeze. I didn't even know sneeze guards was a thing uh, different from masks. So that you can use that for your clients, right? Like, let's say your client is known for selling medical masks. Well, people are now asking for whatever these sneeze guards are. Maybe that's something that your clients want to be stocking or you want to start optimizing uh, their um, pages that actually sell those. And so I think some of you might find this uh, information quite useful. Um, we noticed we had a couple of clients talk to us about an issue with YouTube embeds. So say you have an article that you wrote, you know, this week and you embedded a, a, a video from YouTube that helped to support your article. And it was an embed from, say, it was a video that was created like four years ago um, and you embedded that in your post. What a lot of people are seeing is that when you do a Google search and that article comes up, there is rich results now that, um, you know, so rich results, meaning like how you would see star markup in the in the SERPs. Uh, this is more um, the date 
an author name and it actually includes the date of the YouTube upload as opposed to the date that your article was written. So I could write an article this week and include an embed from a four-year-old YouTube video and Google will display in the SERPs that my article is four years old. That's not what we want. The other thing is Google's actually displaying in the search results um, the name of the person who uploaded the YouTube video. Uh, I can see some point to that. I mean, uh, if somebody was using uh, some video that I made on SEO, I think I should be credited for that. Um, but if that video is just one part uh, embedded in a massive article, you know, it doesn't really make sense to include that in the search results. So we tweeted that at uh, Danny Sullivan, and he pointed out that uh, the team is on it. it. It is apparently a bug on Google's side, or at least something that's not optimal on Google's side. And he said that he's passed this on to his team or to the team at Google for a review. Uh, Gary Isha has been tweeting a lot this week. Gary's fun to, to, to watch when he tweets. He's very, very sarcastic, and it's often hard to know whether we should include his tweets in newsletter because um, there's a lot of personal stuff in there sometimes, too. This, though, I think is uh, something that's important for us to know. Uh, he asked if we could stop spreading the rumor that robots.txt is a hint. Uh, so if you have something in your robots.txt file, like uh, a disallow uh, in there saying uh, disallow... Googlebot disallow all bots from crawling a particular page. Google will always obey uh, those directives. It's not like a canonical. If you put a canonical tag on your pages where you're saying, look, we, we want, to want Google to treat this page the same as this other page over here. Um, and if Google sees that those two pages aren't actually identical and maybe shouldn't be treated together, they may ignore your canonical. But if you have it in your robots.txt that Google is supposed to ignore a page or that all bots are supposed to ignore a page, that's something that Google will honor. Now, uh, there are other bots that do not honor robots.txt, so just keep that in mind, but most of the main search engines do. Uh, this was a good tip from Lily Ray on Twitter. Uh, Lily said that it's not enough to just update your title tag to include the current year. Um, so I think an example would be like, uh, I don't know, you have an article on gardening and, um, you know, here's what you need to know for gardening in 2019. And, uh, and now you've updated that. So here's what you need to know for gardening in 2020. Uh, but maybe things have changed, especially in the times of coronavirus. Gardening might not be the best example. I think a lot of gardening is the same, but things like where you're talking about where to go get your plants. Well, you would probably say like, hey, a lot of the world is in lockdown right now and you may not be able to just go into your local nursery and get a plant. And so you could update your article for gardening in 2020 with actual information that's relevant to our crazy year of uh, 2020. This is something that is in Google's Quality Raters guidelines. I don't have the quote exactly in front of me, but they do instruct the Quality Raters to determine whether uh, YMYL content has has been kept up to date. And they say something in there that is essentially saying like, you know, take a look and see, did they just change 
the title of the post or have they actually updated the content? Um, you know, Google's not going to be fooled if you just change all of your title tags to say what you need to know for 2020. Um, I think it still can be a good method to write. I mean, we have a post on what you need to know about disavowing in 2019 uh, and we'll update that for 2020, um, but we'll include anything new that we have uh, in terms of uh, disavow information. So that's important. <laughs> I, I laughed at how Lily ended her tweets. She says, be right back, adding after murder hornets to my title tags. <sighs> have you seen these pictures of murder hornets? I don't, I'm terrified of, <laughs> of them. Uh, although apparently they're not as bad as, uh, as, as we think. So I don't know. I've purposely not gone down that road of researching what a murder hornet is, but it's indicative of 2020. 2020 has so many issues, I'm telling you. Uh, let's talk about geotargeting. So um, in the old version of Search Console, you can still do international targeting, um, which basically says like, hey, uh, we want to target Canada or our website is primarily relevant to this location. And people have asked many times in the past whether uh, that means that Google will only show your website in that location. So let's say, you know, we had a, a client whose business operates in Canada and they don't do any business outside of the country. Then, it, you know, why would we want to be ranking in uh, the United States or in other locations? Uh, I mean, there can be reasons to do that, uh, but it doesn't work that way. It's not like you can say to Google, look, I only want you to show this information in this geographic area. Um, so uh, one user said, in this is from a Reddit post that Gary Ish uh, jumped into, um, you know, as far as I remember, this user says, John Mueller had said geotargeting doesn't restrict a site only to be shown in that location. Um, and Gary said, this is correct. All you do with that uh, is to give us a strong hint that your content is more relevant to users in region the region that you've set. This may help a little in that particular region, but won't affect your site in other regions. And he goes on to say that, like, there's probably no harm in using it if you think it's relevant. But he did say, quote, the quality of traffic might be impacted negatively if you misuse it, though. And so I suppose, you know, if I targeted the wrong area, perhaps there would be negative effects. I haven't really played around with this, but this is the first time I've actually seen somebody from Google say that, using the geotargeting function in old search console actually might make you rank better in a particular region. Uh, I might play around with that. I don't know. I'd love to hear your experiences if you uh, have some results uh, around that topic. Um, let's see what else we can talk about here. Um, John Mueller uh, tweeted an interesting thing about seeing slow declines in your website. So somebody had asked him, uh, about some very slow declining traffic from a particular website that they're seeing. And John said, slow changes over time are sometimes a sign that your website overall isn't being seen as relevant as before. Sometimes that's content, sometimes design, sometimes functionality, sometimes bad targeting, sometimes other things. There's no simple answer or quote one thing to change. Uh, so th I, the reason why I bring this up is that... Um, 
what we've been finding with the last few years of core updates is if you were negatively affected on the date of a core update, it's really obvious that your decline starts like within 24 to 48 hours of the update happening. Uh, and it's usually a very obvious, like if you were trying to draw a line saying, well, traffic is going along at this rate. And then after the update, you draw another line. It's really obvious that there's a downward trajectory. Now, if you have a slow decline that, you know, doesn't really start on the date of a Google update and just continues to kind of get worse and worse over the years with no big changes, I think this is what John's talking about, is that, um, you know, your website just isn't as relevant as other websites. And uh, uh, we see this happening. It could be that your content's outdated. It could be that a competitor is continuing to produce content that's better and better. Uh, and so um, it's not a slow gradual decline is usually not indicative of a core update hit. It's more uh, just that other people are doing better and producing better content than you are. Um, we also had some talk this week on uh, negative SEO and whether you should be using the disavow tool. Um, Barry Schwartz had an article on this. I think it was based on a tweet from John Mueller that uh, the disavow tool was not created because of negative SEO. Uh, and so people always argue when this comes up, they'll say, well, look, if I can do harm to my website by creating unnatural links, uh, and Google wants me to use the disavow tool to clean up my unnatural links, well, couldn't a competitor do harm to my website uh, by creating unnatural links? This is probably a topic that should be, I should probably do a, a recent video on this, or at least an article on it, um, but I'll talk about it briefly here. I do think negative SEO via links is still possible, um, but it's it's rare that it would actually work. So the old style type of negative SEO would be to to point penguin type links at a website. So to go out and get like 400 low quality directories and, uh, you know, build links using the anchor text that that site wants to rank for. And in the days, the early days of Penguin, that type of link building, whether uh, I saw a couple of cases where it, it happened in, in the case of negative SEO, but Usually, though, even then, Google was pretty good at figuring out whether this was a, a longstanding pattern that this website did or whether it was a blast of negative SEO. But in some cases, the site would see demotions after an attack like that. A lot of the time when a site saw demotions, it was a site that was already kind of on the edge. It was like they were already doing unnatural link building. And then uh, the negative SEO attack, in my opinion, just sort of pushed them over the edge. Um now, today, why should you be using the disavow file? It's really for, uh, in my opinion, sites that have been building your own links that actually work or used to work. So uh, I've mentioned this a few times with uh, in this podcast, even just if you've been building links, that's like, here's some content and you get that content published on somebody else's website. And, oh, I'll include a couple of links pointing back to my site, you know, and you're trying to make it look like that website is wanting to recommend your content. And people always argue, well, they have an editorial choice to include that piece of content. But realistically, that link would to your page would not exist if you weren't trying to improve the SEO of your page. It's not like they're linking because you wrote the best guide ever. Uh, it's because you have a relationship where you're trading content for links. Um, and, and so 
if that was working, and then let's say Google figures out like, oh, wait a second, we realize that type of link now or this website has, you know, passed some sort of threshold of the types of links that, you know, were sort of questionable about, um, then those can cause Google to have a distrust on your website. Uh, again, if you search for, uh, I have a whole article on disavowing in 2019 uh, that talks about uh, quotes from John Mueller on how Google deals with that type of thing and how they can uh, uh, cause, uh, they can basically put a level of distrust on the website so that Google does not want to even count their good links towards it. Um, so let's say that, you know, if I was, <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to say this because I don't want any of you to go out and do this, but I don't think it would really work that well. Let's say I was tasked with doing negative SEO against a competitor uh, and I had to come up with a way to make it work via links. I think, you know, it's conceivably possible that we could build a whole bunch of article links and we could do this over the space of like a year or longer. Um, and, uh, those links could really, really help this client that I'm trying to, you know, get tanked because of negative SEO. And then I could hope that, uh, they'll get a manual action. I mean, I could report them, but Google does not, uh, you know, they don't manually review. They look at the reports, but they don't manually review every website you report. Uh, I think there's just too much noise. So it's in theory possible that I could do this. I could build links that work, that help my competitors to rank well. And maybe I'll tip a threshold uh, where Google starts to distrust them. And then they're in a whole world of trouble and they need to disavow all those links. Uh, and potentially, you know, I could maybe get them a manual action too. But I think it would be really hard. And I think what's more likely to happen is that I would actually help those competitors uh, rather than hurt them. So obviously, I'm being a bit facetious here. I don't want to do negative SEO against any competitors. I don't want any of you to be doing negative SEO. Um, but what I'm trying to hopefully I got my point across here is that Google has ways of determining. And John has said back many years ago, that they can look at the patterns. They can see whether you've been building unnatural links. They, they know, I mean, I've done, I've audited millions of links and I can usually tell within a few minutes of looking at a link profile, whether you've been building links unnaturally or whether you were the victim of somebody who just started to do negative SEO against you. And if I can tell that, like Google's got very smart engineers who have access to way more data than I do. Uh, so it's very, very hard to fool Google in terms of links. Uh, so should you be using the disavow tool? I think if you have a history of building your own links, yes. Um, if you were a victim of uh, negative SEO and your traffic's going down, then yeah, I, I do think you should disavow them. Um, but I think in most cases, unless you've been making your own links that go against Google's guides on uh, what they consider a link scheme, then you probably don't need to be using the disavow tool. Um, uh, we've covered this before, but uh, important to know that Google does not index all content on uh, a website. Somebody was asking John Mueller, uh, they were having trouble getting a whole bunch of pages indexed. And John said on Twitter, we almost never index all pages, regardless of the size of a site. It's expected for there to be a sometimes significant number of pages that are known, potentially crawled, but not indexed. Uh, so now where this is an issue is if you, and we do this, we look at in Google search console, we'll look at the, um, 
index coverage report and it'll tell you how many pages Google has crawled and discovered but they haven't put into the index and then we just look at the types of those pages sometimes it makes sense like if they're part of your RSS feed you know I don't think that that is considered a sign of low quality by Google but let's say that you have millions of pages that Google's decided not to index that you actually really want to get indexed and it turns out that they're just variations of doorway pages or they're just random image pages that like nobody would ever want to land on from search then you can often find little clues on which types of content to clear clean out uh we've had at least one client possibly more with this core update uh that has seen very nice improvements after we've been trimming out thin content now we can't say whether it's just that that saw the improvement because they were working on other things as well but uh sometimes this part of index coverage report that tells you the content that google's discovered but they've chosen not to index can give you a lot of hints as to whether there are quality issues on your website um, somebody asked John Mueller again on Twitter whether there was a way, if you've changed your canonicalization, whether there's a quick way to tell Google, like, hey, look, we want to get these old versions of pages out of the index because we only want the canonicalized version indexed. Uh, and John said there's no magic way to do this. It's just a matter of normal crawling. Um, one trick that sometimes works if you've uh, made a bunch of changes and you're having a hard time getting Google to come back and recrawl these pages is to actually create an interim page that links to the pages you want to be recrawled um, and then submit that page to the index. Uh, and um, and then Googlebot often will, within a day or two, follow all of the links on that page, and then you can get your newly made changes recognized. You don't want to do that too often, um, and you also want to go back and remove that page uh, later on, but uh, sometimes that's a way that you can get Google to crawl faster. Uh, Screaming Frog tweeted that they did some tests. I don't think they published an article, otherwise we would have linked to it, but uh, they did some tests again on hyphens versus underscores in your URL. Um, so Google said many years ago that they much prefer hyphens. Uh, so, you know, if I had a post, uh, you know, called the May Core Update, I would call it, you know, mariehaines.com slash May hyphen core hyphen update slash. Um, as opposed to may underscore hyphen underscore update. Um, and so what uh, the tests from Screaming Frog showed is that Google still does not understand underscores as word separators. Uh, they did this with actual words and with made up words as well. And they couldn't get any URLs that were using underscores as word separators to be recognized, uh, to get those keywords recognized by Google. Uh, so very good um, reminder that we should be using hyphens, not underscores. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, no, I actually have underscores in my URLs instead of hyphens, it's debatable whether going back and changing those will make a big difference. Um, there's risks that go along with doing that, because if you change your URLs, you're essentially creating a brand new page for Google. And yes, you can redirect your old URL to the new, but there's some risks that go with that. Um, we find that often when a site does a massive change to something you know like this, uh, Google, Google seems to do a reassessment of quality for the site and sometimes some issues that we pointed out before as like ooh, I don't know why these pages are ranking because they've got quality issues on them they don't rank after the the changes have been made so you don't want to make major changes and the other thing too is that we think that words in the URL 
are a very small ranking factor, if anything. Um, so, you know, it's not like changing all these posts so that Google can understand that, oh, you've actually used keywords in your URL is going to give you a massive ranking boost. Um, that said, going forward, as you're creating new URLs, I'd recommend that you use hyphens rather than underscores to separate words. Um, another, John was very active on Twitter this week. Another um, uh, thing that uh, was tweeted at him was uh, an observation that a core algorithm update always seems to cause a lag in delivering search console data. I can't say that's something that we've seen, but um, uh, AJ Khan tweeted this and he knows his stuff. Uh, but John said it's unrelated and lag is always awkward. And <laughs> he finished with saying sorry. Uh, sounds so Canadian, but he's not. But he's nice enough to be a Canadian. Um, so if you're noticing that every time there's an update, you're, it's taking time to get your data into Search Console, apparently that's just a coincidence. Let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn being de-indexed or being removed from the index. It's two separate things. Uh, so last week, and I was going to talk about this in podcast last week, and it was unfolding as I was recording. So I thought, okay, we'll wait till next week. Uh, most of you have probably heard that LinkedIn vanished from Google. And so initially there was some speculation that maybe they'd had a penalty. Um, you have to have a very severe violation of Google's webmaster guidelines to have your entire site de-indexed. And so I was pretty certain that this wasn't a penalty issue. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's still a possibility. Who knows? We've seen big sites do unnatural things in the past, and uh, that's a possibility. However, Google actually said that it wasn't anything on their side. And then the same day that this happened, John Mueller just randomly tweeted uh, this reminder about being careful using the URL removal tool. So in Search Console, there's a tool that you can use to remove URLs. So let what it's supposed to be used for is like, let's say I publish something and I published a post that like had an employee's phone number in it or something weird like that. And then I was like, oh man, that, that can't be in the index. I can't have that. That that's personal information, or I've posted something that's wrong and I need to I need to get this out of Google's index. Then you can use the URL removal tool. And you also have to um, hide the posts as well. <clears throat> so you have to, <clears throat> so you have to uh, essentially uh, block them with robots.txt or add uh, no index. But you you need to basically uh, tell Google that look these there has to be other evidence that you want this post to be removed. So the speculation is that uh, so John said don't use the URL removal tool to remove uh, www and HTTP versions of your website from search. And what the speculation is, is that what happened with LinkedIn is perhaps they had some www versions of their pages or maybe even old HTTP versions of their pages that were still in the index. And somebody from LinkedIn probably used the URL removal tool to say, all right, we want to remove all these HTTP pages or whatever. Uh, but what happens is that also removes the canonical version, which was the HTTPS or the page that wasn't using www. Um, and so we, we think that they actually removed their own pages from search. Now, the interesting thing about this, though, is that within, I want to say, 24 hours, all 200 million pages of LinkedIn had returned to the index. So let's say that this actually was a penalty, which I don't think it was. 
what what happens when Google de-indexes a site is that it takes time for it to come back into the index, um, and it can take weeks. If you had 200 million pages, it could even take a couple of months for those pages to return to the index, and they were back instantly. So um, the URL removal tool doesn't actually remove URLs from Google, but it hides them, and it hides them temporarily. Um, and that can be turned into a permanent thing if you've also no-indexed or blocked them in robots.txt. Uh, so, so what probably happened, and I think there was probably some involvement on Google's side to come in and, and make the switch to say, hey, the uh, I, I actually don't know if you can reverse a removal request. I think you can in Search Console. That may have happened too. But somehow the removal request got removed and then instantly they were all showing in the SERPs again. So lesson learned, I think the most important lesson learned here is that everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> you know, even these massive sites and, and often we'll look to competitors and we'll say, well, this massive authoritative site is doing this. So we should do that as well. But that they're not always doing things correctly. So uh, it was a very interesting story. Um, and uh, I'm glad that um, it looks like no harm was done. I, I do believe I saw Dr. Pete tweet. <laughs> That's funny. Dr. Pete tweet. You, Dr. Pete should have another Twitter account. Dr. Pete's tweets. Um, I saw him tweet that uh, he was producing an article on what probably happened. So I, I'm looking forward. That'll be published on Moz. I'm looking forward to reading that. And hopefully we can talk about that next week. Let's talk a little bit about local search. So this is confusing as well. It does look like there was some type of an update affecting local search. Um, April 23rd was the day on which there was a lot of fluctuation in the local search results. Um, the, the local search uh, flux tool is showing um, a significant amount of flux. They say that anything over three on their scale is important. And uh, May 8th, which was the peak of all this flux, showed 5.6 on their tool. So um, an important thing to know is that a lot of Google My Business changes are happening and businesses are bouncing in and out of top rankings at like every two to three days. So uh, I noticed this for, we don't have many clients that we work on uh, their local optimization, although it does come up from time to time. I did notice on one of these clients that a few days ago, they had dropped completely out of the local pack. And uh, in my head, I was like, well, you know, I should probably look at that and see what we can do to help, even though that's not our what we work on for uh, this website um, and they're not working with anybody else either. And so uh, I checked today and now they're ranking in the three pack again, they're number three. Uh, so, and, and we didn't make any changes. Uh, so a lot of stuff is happening. Um, uh, Sterling Sky helps us write our, uh, that's Joy Hawkins company, helps us write our local search part of the newsletter. And uh, they actually said that weekends might factor into whether your business is shown in the rankings or not. That kind of makes sense, right? If you're closed on the weekend, uh, then why would Google want to show you to searchers who are searching on a Saturday trying to find a business? So that might be something to uh, to consider as well. Um, there's some changes to uh, Google My Business posts uh, involving uh, if you have a post that is a COVID-19 type of post, uh, it appears that that if you're using that, that can cause your regular Google My Business posts to disappear. So you may want to pay attention to that. Um, what else here? We're nearing nearing the end. Uh, oh, reviews are coming back. So uh, if you 
had clients that said, hey, we reviewed your website and you can't see the reviews. They're starting to surface now. I don't think it's back for all websites, but Google My Business reviews are back for, for many. Um, another thing to know is a lot of people don't realize that you can mark your business as temporarily closed in Google My Business. Uh, Amy Toman posted on Twitter that uh, she noticed that if you do that, then your listing on Google My Business will no longer show your website link or your phone call button. Uh, and I mean, again, that makes sense. If I'm a searcher looking for a business, then, uh, you know, why would I want to call your business if you've marked it as closed? Uh, so you can't have it both ways if you want to still get calls, but keep your private, your, your actual brick and mortar location closed. There are probably better ways to deal with that. Uh, I would rather use uh, notifications to say, hey, our business office is closed, but we're still doing business remotely or something like that. You really want to be careful. Careful in in temporarily closing your business because that'll probably impact your ability to rank as well. Um, we actually don't have any Q and A to cover in this episode. If you want to ask me a question to answer about SEO, uh, the best questions are ones regarding EAT or link quality. Those are my strong area of expertise. Um, then you can go to any episode of our newsletter, MarieHaines.com/newsletter, and uh, you'll see a form that you can submit a question. Uh, one of the things that we did last week was a lot of fun. It was, uh, you know, a question of why is this site outranking me? I, I'm, I love looking at those things. I, I think that's something eventually we'll offer as a service, but we're still trying to uh, get on top of our waiting list and, and um, um, you know, make even better our site reviews even better. Uh, but um I think it's it's fun looking at a particular page and saying, why is this page ranking? Uh, so if you want to submit a question. Now, one thing I would ask is uh, if you can submit a question that's not anonymous, that would be best because uh, it, it's kind of boring to uh, for other people to listen to these vague. Well, they have this and that. Um, and I'd love for to be able to give people a URL and say, all right, here's the two pages that we're assessing. Uh, I can't promise you that I'll get it into podcast, but uh, if it's a good example that shows what we think Google's doing with EAT and uh, helps other people improve the quality of their content, then I'd, I'd love to include that. Uh, speaking of EAT, uh, I was honored to be on Aleda Solis's podcast, uh, Crawling Mondays, this week, along with Lily Ray. So Aleda and Lily and I had a great conversation about EAT, not just the usual stuff. If you've been hearing me talk about EAT for years, uh, there was some new stuff in here and some stuff about the May Core update, although it had only just happened at that point. So we didn't have a lot of information to share. Uh, we've linked to that in newsletter, but I'm sure you can find it on the web as well. Uh, Aleda knows what she's doing in terms of SEO, so I'm sure it's easy to find. Um, thanks so much for listening. I, I really hope uh, that things are going okay. I know you know, I didn't really talk a lot about coronavirus this episode and some past episodes. Uh, it's been kind of doom and gloom in terms of business, um, not our business. We're slowed down a little bit, although this core update is, is picking things up for us. Uh, but so many uh, small businesses are really, really suffering. And so if you're one of those businesses, if you're somebody who has lost your job or is um, struggling, my heart goes out to you still. I, you know, I think the hardest part about dealing with coronavirus is uh, that we don't know when things will get back to normal. We don't know what normal is going to look like. Um, I hope that you're able to find some joy in your week. Uh, for me, Fortnite is my joy. I have to tell you, for those of you who are interested in my 
my illustrious video game career, which is kind of funny. I'm getting better. I played in a cash cup, which is one where you can actually earn money. I, I, I'm nowhere near earning money, but I got 42 points in this cash cup, which uh, is very impressive for a 46-year-old mom playing Fortnite. So that's something that I do to sort of when things just get too overwhelming and there's just too much bad news in the world, you'll find me, uh, you know, immersing myself in Fortnite and playing Fortnite with my kids as well. Um, I hope you have some sort of a coping mechanism that uh, that helps you get through to we will eventually get back to some sort of sense of normalcy. And uh, so anyways, Thanks again for listening, and next week I'll give you even more of my thoughts on what's happening with the core update, and I really do think that before then we'll have a very thorough article out. I've, I've already been working on this. this is, I think this is one of my uh, most satisfying articles to write, uh, so I'm looking forward to, to publishing that soon. Thanks so much, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm-hmm.